1,000 Better Stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. Hello, it's Kashka, your story weaver. Apologies for delivering this episode one week late, but I've been fighting off a nasty bug over the last couple of weeks and I needed to take a wee break to recover. I hope you didn't miss me too much. In today's episode, you will hear an interview with Jill Davies, a manager of SCAN's Investing in Regional Networks programme, which has been funded by the Scottish Government. I spoke to her about it in August. For about a year now, she's been recruiting and supporting regional network coordinators, working to strengthen relationships among community organisations within Scottish regions. This work will feed into the rollout of the Scottish Government Regional Climate Action Hubs over the next year. You can listen to our last episode to find out more about the two hub pilots which are already in place. Check out our brand new website, scan.scot, for more information. So it's S-C-C-A-N dot S-C-O-T, or scan.scot. Look for network building under the projects menu. And all the relevant links, as usual, are also in the episode notes for you. Alongside the interview with Joe, you will also hear brief introductions from five regional network coordinators. Julian Holbrook from Midlothian, Gordy Campbell from Scottish Borders, Stephen Clark from Dumfries and Galloway, Mary Stonehouse from Argyle and Butte, and Alison Stockwell from Western Isles. Each of them focused on what makes their region unique, their connections to it, and the last community group they talked to. So, Jill started telling me briefly about her own climate journey. So many moons ago with the Rio Earth Summit, the first one, I was studying at the time and found out then about the, the Convention on Climate Change and got very passionately involved, decided to study that, went on to do a PhD, which I never actually finished, and then ended up working with the Energy Saving Trust, working on renewable and energy retrofit projects right across Scotland, and then finally ended up doing a long cycle over a lot of Asia and seeing the bleaching of the coral reefs and the monster, you know, rains and floods and the, you know, farmers in Kyrgyzstan that were having to plant new seeds because rains were becoming really unpredictable. Well, writing about them in my studies 20 years before and then seeing them was absolutely heartbreaking. And even with the, the coral bleaching, you'd speak to the older folk on the islands and they'd be going, oh, wow, it's amazing down there and all the rest of it. And it's like, you haven't seen it in a while, have you? Mm-hmm. It really is this genuinely heartbreaking experience. And when I finally came back to Scotland, it was like, I really, really need to... There's so many people who don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. And at least we live in a country where there's a chance to have a voice. And I must do everything I possibly can within that space to 
further, if you like, action against climate change or do everything you can to prevent it. We're here to talk about this regional climate action network building project that SCAN is involved in. Um, what are the aims in general and the timeline so far? I think there's a recognition that a lot, with a lot of project funding, a project happens and then um, the project funding comes to an end and all the lessons disappear and there's not actually that sharing and learning and mutual support. So I think the idea of creating networks is to allow a space where lessons can be captured, lessons can be shared. There's so many community groups doing amazing things, but most folk have got their heads down and are so busy delivering that project that they don't have time to spread the word. So I see, I see a real value in these networks is in providing that sharing space, that mutual support, that inspiring space, that the kind of, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, have you met the folk? down the road who've done this amazing thing or across Scotland who've done this amazing thing. So that's the aim, is to provide connectivity and mutual support and a more effective way of working, if you like. Timelines are a little bit fuzzy. The Scottish Government has an aim to get hubs up and running and... So these are the climate action hubs? Yeah, sort of climate been, action yeah. hubs. So we're hoping that the networks will come together, networks of community groups, it's kind of for the folk in those networks to decide what what's the right size. You know, if you want you want to be big enough so that you've got enough folk in there, so that you've got um, enough enough different community groups to be sharing experiences, enough enough different voices, so that when you amplify them through a hub or something, you're you're kind of a bit more effective. So it doesn't want to be too wee. Equally, it doesn't want to be too big because if it gets too big, you're actually got different sort of regional priorities or different local priorities and it's, it's not quite a strong an identity. The aim is to have the networks themselves define what would be right and then put an application in to become a hub. And once the hubs are there, they can provide, if you like, a bit of support for networking, connectivity, training. Some of the existing hubs already provide support and train and funding. Um, because looking forward, the, the Scottish Government intends to mainstream a lot of climate funding or a lot of community funding will require you to have a bit of an understanding of climate. So we think there'll be quite a big skills gap there and potentially the hubs will have the staff and facilities resourcing really to support all community groups to take steps to create a more resilient future. So the Scottish Government is providing the funding, but I think they understand that, they, that they're that they not in a position to, de to determine what community needs are. And so they've asked SCAN not to come in and create the hubs, but to come in and hold the space, if you like, so that community groups can come together and say, that well, this is what we need, this is what we want, this is what we think our priorities are. And for SCAN to facilitate those discussions and to facilitate whatever steps are necessary. So I think we, we would see as see ourselves as pretty neutral facilitators within that space. So what are the regions which have been identified so far? Um, is there a list somewhere? We've employed about 15 folk and the aim is to cover the whole of Scotland. We're trying not to define what those regions are because different community groups define themselves in different ways. But certainly the intention is to cover the whole of Scotland and we've got you know, Edinburgh's a region, but the Western Isles is a region. Argyll and Butte is where we've got 
a network facilitator. So right right the way across Scotland, except where there's existing hubs, which is Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire, Fife, Murray, and the north of Highland and Orkney and Shetland. So those are the only places we're not covering. My name is Marie Stonehouse, and I'm the Argyle and Butte Regional Network Engagement Coordinator for SCAN. If I were to describe Argyle and Butte in three words, it would be mountains, locks, and islands. It is an area of outstanding natural beauty, lush forested hills, majestic locks and waterfalls, which, along with the people, stole my heart. So in 2001, I decided this was the place I wanted to call home and made my way across the Atlantic to settle in the Cal Peninsula. This position with SCAN has provided me with an opportunity to meet and speak to so many wonderful people who are engaging with our current climate and biodiversity crises. One such group is Grow Food, Grow Denim, who have set up a community garden at Kern Primary School. Here they teach young people, teachers, and community members alike horticultural skills. The children attend a class each week in the garden, and all of the work from sowing the seeds to laying paths, caring for the plants as they grow, are done by the school children. Martin, who runs the project, also hosts a weekly radio show in which, besides playing great music, also engages his listeners with conversations about climate change and climate action. Uh, it's, it's work in progress, I guess. So what's the timeline to actually accomplish all that amazing networking feat? I think the Scottish Government expect some applications for hubs to be in by March um, 2023. Other areas um, have got a wee bit longer. It just depends on when people came into post. Um, so there's an expectation that they'll have the best part of a year to, to work with community group. So starting, I guess, in March 23 and going through to pretty well September, October of next year. So that's the plan and progress so far. Is there any other sort of things that you're going to be doing apart from sort of putting people on the ground? It is the initial stages just now, definitely a work in progress. So people have started by contacting community groups, going out and visiting them, saying, you know, what are you doing? What are your priorities? What would help you do this more effectively? What would make you stronger? What kind of support can we offer? What would be practical, relevant, inspiring, helpful? And as we get the answers to that, we can obviously start shaping what would be an effective response to that. The um, existing network coordinators are putting out newsletters, so they're trying to connect their community groups because, say, for example, in the Western Isles, there's loads and loads of groups that are refurbishing the old schools because populations declined. But then none of, the, none of those groups are in contact with each other. So we're, we're already making connections. There will be newsletters that, that help kind of describe what's happening locally so that other folk can already start sharing in that, that lesson and those, that support. In time, we'll be having events because inviting everybody to participate in what would be useful from a hub um, so that whenever we start putting applications together to make a hub, it, it hopefully represents as best as we can what community groups would like. My name is uh, Gordy Campbell. I'm the regional network coordinator for the Scottish Borders. Scottish Borders is kind of a geographical area and also a single local authority that covers uh, the area. So 
of East Lothian to the English border and from the North Sea to just about Dumfries and Galloway, the middle of the country, effectively. It's a great part of the world. I've lived here for a while. It has amazing geography, coastal to uplands to lowlands. The people are an amazing people and their resilience is not a urban area. 60% of the population live rurally, so they have a, a resilience. There hasn't been a great deal of, of immigration to the area uh, up until the last uh, 20 years or so. So they have a very entrenched local feel to the area. And I relate to that. I care about this area because I have lived here for 25 years. I immigrated from Canada in 1999 to live with my now wife. And it's where I raised my family. It's a great place to live. It has a lovely relaxedness to it. As a regional coordinator, I just go around and um, I talk to groups, which is a joy after a pandemic. Uh, my previous role, I was in front of a laptop for two years. The last group I spoke to was a group called the Hoyt Greenway Project. And it's a new organization that's just come along in the last couple of years. So they're finding their way. The town of is going through a what what is called a climate change mitigation project. It's a 90 million pound project to basically control the water flow through the river because they've been seriously affected by flooding. And this project engages in raising awareness uh, around climate change and also uh, nature-based environmental and community growing. It's a, it's a great organization. It's new. So the people are, are seeking knowledge and they also have a great amount of, of passion for what they're doing for their community. The thought is they, they want to build a, an art installation uh, in the river yeah, with a, with a symbol of their community and, and how the, the river that flows through their community is so important to them, uh, along with the people. So, yeah, they're doing community gardens, they're supporting um, orchards, and we're going to support them in some more climate cafes and some things like that. So, so yeah, so it's a great organization along with a number of others. That's part of our great job that we have is that we, we go around and we find these, you know, we, the organizations that have been existing for a, a lot of years, early opters for climate change. And, and then we find the new people, the organizations, the communities, the community trusts in little valleys and little villages or, or in, in urban settings that, that are just passionate about, about supporting the community. They're passionate about um, affecting change uh, around climate change uh, and changing the way they are. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, maybe you could comment a little bit more about the advantages of a regional approach to climate action um, when you're talking about community climate action. The first thing is, you know, if, if we're starting to visualise what a really resilient future is for our communities, if what a really thriving future is for our communities, we have to start looking at all kinds of things. Everybody... Everybody's suffering from a cost of living crisis. There's people struggling to eat. There's people struggling with fuel. Yet, I'm sure that we can all imagine a, a place that is socially just, where we're living within the planetary boundaries, where we're respecting the earth that we stand on and things like that. So if there's one person thinking that, but they're not connected to other folk, it is just one person's voice in the wind. Whereas when, when we collect together and when we 
enabling a collective voice. We start sharing lessons. There are so many amazing projects right across Scotland, but we keep on reinventing the wheel, you know. Um, so for me, there's the strength in enabling us to amplify our voices, the strength in sharing lessons, the strength in sharing support, because this is a really difficult space, you know. Climate change is overwhelming. The kind of crises that folk are living with every day are overwhelming, just trying to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. And and as we come together, we become much stronger. So for me, that's, that's the importance of coming together and, and coming together regionally. I think there are different priorities in different places. If you live in Edinburgh or if you live in Glasgow, your priorities and day-to-day reality is going to be different to if you live in the Western Isles or you know, um, in the Scottish borders. There's really different practical realities in each place. So for me, coming together regionally allows those practical differences to be reflected, but equally within this kind of support of collective space. Mm-hmm. And definitely the effects of climate change will be different as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, so, just, yeah. Like on the Western Isles, there's huge erosion, whereas in other places, and, and issues with flooding, whereas in other places there's... All kinds of differences, yeah. yeah like, we just had a drought in Fife, northeastern Fife, but not the rest of Fife. So that was an interesting micro-regional difference, <laughs> which is also yeah. Whereas on the West Isles, I promise you, they haven't had a drought. No, no, I've seen all the clouds come across the West Coast and never peter out by the time they go to the East Coast. Hello, my name is Alison Stockwell, and I work in the Western Isles, also known as the Outer Hebrides. What's unique about the Western Isles is the layering of history, prehistory and contemporary culture in everyday life. Language, culture and a sense of place is very important to communities here. I live in Uist and what I notice most about here is the sheer amount of water, which makes for excellent peat bogs and really good swim spots. I have family connections to Uist and moved here to be closer to them and have a better quality of life. I care deeply about how communities here will be affected by climate change and want to support action towards a more sustainable and vibrant future for all of us. The last community group I spoke to was Eust and Barra Food Bank. They provide support for anyone in the community who needs it and not just food. They also post information about what's going on locally and tips on things like energy usage. I think... If we're looking at sort of what what makes a practical difference to people's lives and practical difference to to um, climate change, for example, even if you look at public transport, there's a massive difference between Edinburgh and Glasgow. In Edinburgh, there is publicly owned public transport. In um, Glasgow, you've got umpteen different privately owned for-profit bus services and if you buy a ticket for one, you can't use it with the other companies and therefore the practical realities of getting around Glasgow are very different to the practical realities of getting around Edinburgh. If you look at the Western Isles, they're really in the brunt of the storm in many ways. So, I mean, I've heard crofters speak and, you know, when the, the lambs come through in the spring historically there's always been fresh grass for them to eat whereas nowadays the wind because it's that bit stronger and lasts that bit longer burns off the tips of the grass and therefore that you're actually having they're having to buy food in for the wee lambs when they come through which completely changes the economic realities of of a very traditional form of um, farming 
and equally just the practical realities of being in a place where it's difficult to stand up f from the wind. And that was always the case. There was always massive storms mm. in the Western Isles, but now they last longer and they're that wee bit stronger. So if you can't stand up properly outside for four days or five days instead of two or three, like it was before, that really impacts your everyday existence. Yeah. And certainly I was speaking to fishermen in the Western Isles and they were saying, and same in Sky actually, they're saying that the fish are moving, mm. um, but moving into more further away from land, therefore it's more, a more dangerous, I mean, fishing is already, I think, the most dangerous um, occupation in the UK. But with the fish moving, because the sea temperatures are moving, it, it is making it more dangerous. If yeah, mm -hmm. so there's just very, very real impacts. Mm -hmm. So yeah, plenty of differences, and hopefully enough um, commonalities within these areas to bring people together there. So how can community organisations get involved? Is there a way of um, getting in touch or? Well, I mean, all community organisations are super welcome. It's all about creating a vibrant, thriving future. Um, there's so many different ways of, of doing that and envisaging that and supporting folk to do that. So everybody is welcome and the contact details for all the regional organisers will be on our SCAN website. My name is Stephen Clark and I'm the Network Coordinator for Dumfries and Galloway a deceptively enormous county in southwest Scotland. It has a landmass of 6,500 square kilometres and a population of less than 150,000. So as those figures suggest, it's exceptionally rural around here. Agriculture accounts for 70% of the county and woodland drapes itself over another 25% of it. From its rugged uplands and forests to its rins and machars, Dumfries and Galloway's diverse landscape is a seductive reflection of everything that's naturally beautiful about Scotland itself. And that's something that evokes a very strong sense of belonging. Probably why the county is home to so many community groups working to address their growing and very real concerns about lifestyle adaptation to climate change. Speaking to McNabb Laurie and Barney Fryer, working on multiple projects for the Galloway Glens Landscape Partnership and the Loch Ken Trust respectively, I was struck by the distilled clear simplicity of their phrase, future-ready communities. Whether in Scotland or the other side of the world, their succinct phrasing clearly outlines where we all are and where we're heading, with the fundamental acceptance that adaptation to a climate change future is a clear and pressing issue that cannot be ignored. And what's becoming clear to me is that despite its huge size and the disparate nature of its population centres, there's a very rich seam of place-based belonging that runs through the very heart of people here. Hurtling up the M74 to the central belt and the highland playgrounds that lie beyond, drivers and their passengers only sometimes cast a second glance at what this county has to offer. And it might be that that 70 mile an hour cloak of invisibility is a good thing, helping protect the area's treasures from over-tourism. But as I'm learning, the existential threat of climate change poses a much greater risk to Dumfries and Galloway and its residents. And I care about that because of the awakening I experienced standing on the devastated shoreline of Giwan in the Philippines. 
It was just days after Super Typhoon Haiyan had made landfall there, and in the wake of the unprecedented typhoon's murderous ferocity, I felt I'd seen the dark heart of what climate-changed weather systems will really mean for life on this planet. And it scared me. Have you had any surprises so far in terms of running this project, good or bad? Not so much surprises. I think the thing I've been actually enjoying the most is different people's perspective from from all over. Um, to be able to speak on an everyday basis to folk who are having such different experiences of living within the same country has actually been a, a personal joy for me. We're obviously setting something up new, so there's aspects of that that can be challenging. But I think for the most part, Again, it's been quite enjoyable because I get a lot of feedback and things I would never have heard of or never found out about from all the network coordinators meeting all these incredible groups that are doing amazing things. So not so much challenging, but um, yeah, just just a celebration of what communities can achieve. Yeah, I think that's, I think hopefully that kind of energy is going to then sort of excite people to come together in regionally, I think that's such a underestimated thing that people think that there's nothing happening. I think there's so much happening, and doesn't have to have a climate label on it. But communities are doing so much to sort of build resilience, aren't they? Yeah, no, there's there's incredible dedication, incredible community groups, incredible projects, and a lot of them are run by volunteers, so people already with jobs and families, and somehow managing to find find extra time to, to give to supporting the community in different ways. I think the question on everyone's lips is um, how will this project link with the climate action hubs which the Scottish Government is planning to put, put in? So the Scottish Government has said that they, in order to become a hub it needs to be supported by the community. So we see as ourselves doing the precursor work, if you like, for the hubs. And as I've said before, our, our aim here is to hold the space. It's not for us to say this, this is what the hub should be, this is what it should do, this is where it should cover. But it's for us to have that kind of paid time, if you like, to go out to community groups and have the discussion about what, what would be practical, what would be useful, what would be helpful, and to then help put it into place. So there should be a direct connection between the work we're doing and a hub being created and putting an application form into the Scottish Government and what we've said from the beginning to the Scottish Government is if a hub is to work and be relevant that community groups have to have a real say in how it's structured and what it does so I very much hope that the work we're doing allows the hubs to be that, to be relevant and be appropriate My name is Julian Holbrook and I am the coordinator for the Midlothian Climate Action Network, which is um, just south of Edinburgh. So Midlothian is a single local authority, Midlothian Council. It's an area that has a mining background. There are a number of small towns, but also Midlothian, we have a large area of farmland going from the, the Penton Hills, um, touching the Morfords, there's a lot of rural and then there's the settlements which are kind of joining together. Midlothian has seen a lot of development pressure in the last few years. 
there's been intensive house building and um, this has created tensions for some of the communities around various things. The climate profile of Midlothian is such that in terms of carbon is, is commuting and travel is one of the big sectors. With the new housing, that's probably enhanced the, the amount of commuting to Edinburgh that's gone on. I moved to Midlothian from Edinburgh in 1996. Um, I was looking to build an eco-house with my family, three daughters at the time. But in the end, we um, we bought a place which we converted using eco-design principles. So been here quite a long time now and always been active. I was a community councillor for seven years. I've been a member of Growing Together Midlothian, which is a network of community food projects. I've um, joined the Climate Emergency Group run by the Community Planning Partnership. And I care for the area because I feel, you know, Midlothian is my home. It's where I live. It's where my where we brought up our, our family. Um, it's where I farm. And I'm really excited to be a coordinator for the network to make the most of the connections, the relationships that I've built over the years. And I see Midlothian has great potential because we are on the doorstep of Edinburgh. We do have many resources, both physical, like the farmland, but also social in terms of the kinds of community groups that we have. There's some fantastic projects on the ground. The last community group I met was the Pennycook Community Development Trust, obviously based in Pennycook. They have a number of projects which they've been running for quite a few years. Um, they have a, the Pennycook Paper Making Heritage Museum, which is a historical thing, but also they run an open house in the Pennycook Town Hall on Saturdays where different groups can come together. They also run a community um, cinema, uh, a community garden. They ran a climate challenge fund project for a year, which is money from the Scottish Government programme, Climate Challenge Fund. And in that, they used the money to set up a refillery in the Pennycook storehouse. They developed a community meal in the community sports and leisure centre. They did a lot of fixing things. So they bought equipment like sewing machines and so on. Another thing that the Trust did was to set up a tool library. And that's now been handed on to another organisation called the Pennycook Ambassadors. And although the project's come to the end, all these things I'm talking about now are still going on. You know, they're kind of part of the legacy. So that's great. Although the money's run out, the work's still continuing. So I, I met with the trust recently, and one of the issues that came up is community energy. They would like to connect with other groups in Midlothian elsewhere to explore the options. Do you have anything to share about how regional coordinators are approaching the roles of people that are in place and starting to do that work? I think that's really important that we don't just focus on the groups that would self-identify, if you like, as having a climate focus, because creating this resilient future, creating just, you know socially just, um, thriving communities is about so much more than recognising only the climate as, as your priority. So um, my, my direction, if you like, to the network coordinators is to speak to anybody and everybody, speak to as many community groups as you can, there's some community groups that are, are kind of doing, maybe, for example, they've set up a community fridge and their motivation for doing that is dignity or respect or all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with the climate. But 
in reality, if they're diverting food from landfill or if they're helping folk grow food, they're also helping the climate. But I think we have to really get beyond just seeing the climate as a kind of environmental, I don't know, box, if you like, and get to the point where we're saying, well, you know, what does a resilient future look like for our communities? Social injustice and impact on the climate and impact on biodiversity are all caused by the same thing. They're all caused by a capitalist system that isn't not intentionally causing harm, but it's structurally is within that structure is is the harm that's happening. So, if we're to if we were just to say only the environmental impacts of the system matter, then we're kind of we're not creating this vibrant future that we all need to believe in to create. I think. Is there any specific strategies you have um, in mind, or they're already discovering and deploying, to bring those community groups into this into the space? Our only strategy is really, I suppose, going out and speaking to folk and and meeting folk where they are and we've we've got regional network coordinators right across Scotland but every single one of those is not necessarily born in that region but they live there they're they're they understand the area they they're deeply connected to their, their community and their sense of place so they have an already have an understanding so um you know it's that that kind of saying of having a I don't know having a tongue in your head and going out and saying hello and meeting folk and again and once you start meeting people I think it's they'll say oh you you need to be speaking to Mm -hmm. and then they'll give you a list of folk or there's also a number of people within communities that have multiple hats they're sitting there maybe on the community planning council or the community council or um, they work with a community fridge and they work in the garden and tapping into these folk and then they can give you many, many perspectives as to what would be helpful, but equally they can point you in many directions as to who you should be speaking to. So that's our approach at the moment. Everybody is welcome, we're obviously saying that publicly, but equally we do have someone locally or relatively local who will be going about trying to find anybody who's happy to speak to them. Is there any key lesson or takeaway from your work so far that can inform community groups or SCAN members' action um, as individual community groups? It's, it's not necessarily a key lesson, but I think, and I've done it myself, you, you, you are asked to deliver a project, you get your head down, you so you get beavering away and you're delivering it and then it comes to an end and that's you and you're all exhausted and things like that. Um, and it's really hard to have the time to look up one, to see if anybody else has done it before and so that you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But equally, maybe folk haven't done it before and what's the opportunity to share it? So if I've got a key lass and it's take that wee bit of time to look up and just see if, one, it's worth sharing, two, there's other folk that have done it. And that, I think, will make us all stronger. I'm trying to get a feel for what people think about the role um, communities have in taking the action we need in Scotland and maybe worldwide? So I think communities are key to this. I mean, obviously there's there's other factors. The communities in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire, for example, have recently got together and said, you know, we're being, doesn't matter what we do, we've got the oil companies who are almost trying to avoid the windfall tax and instead doing further exploration. We, we need to stop that. We need to amplify our, our, our voice. So I think it's not just communities, it's obviously 
other actors too. But if we're genuinely to create economy based on well-being, if we're genuinely to create a resilient future, if we're to look at food in different ways and energy in different ways and what makes us happier, healthier, weller, if that's even a word. <laughs> Let's make it a word. <laughs> um, you can't do that from somewhere else. It, it has to be it has to be what's right for that community and nobody from I don't know from a different country or a different place can come in and say this is how you should be living and this is what will work for you in this particular circumstance there has to be an approach that's genuinely owned by the folk that are living it so for me yeah communities individuals within those spaces are absolutely key and equally if we're going to change the the things that are out with the, the community's power such as you know, the oil companies and things. If we, if our voices are amplified, if our voices are together, that's almost our only chance of making a difference. Certainly one person on their own, doesn't matter how many times, a hundred people on their own are not going to have the same effect as everybody joining together. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me about this. Well, thanks, Casca, for making the time to come down to the brand new Echoey office. It's <laughs> great, right. my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our brand new Storyteller Collective. You can drop our Story Weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter.